It was great to see Jeff and Beth, their children, up here with you and even answering right along with you. Very nice. And uh, thinking about how much children have taught me about my spiritual life this summer, I shouldn't be surprised, actually, because one of my own realizations along the spiritual journey is the understanding that even though I'd like to make it rocket science, spiritual life is not rocket science. That any spiritual practice that is worth its salt is one that a child can do just as easily as an adult. Any practice that a child cannot do is actually worth questioning whether it's worth it. You know, really, for instance, what's meditation but staying quiet and paying attention? What's the inner journey but being curious about what's happening in your body, in your feelings, in the world? So my two-year-old great-niece came for a quick visit this summer, so I checked with experts on two-year-old girls, moms of current girls who are currently that age, what books or toys might entertain this little girl, because my granddaughters are 14 and 16 now, and the rest of my grandchildren are boys under the age of eight. So what about little girls? So one of our own staff administrators, Robin Hood, raved about a fish bubble machine a bubble-producing machine in the shape of a fish spewing bubbles. When little Olivia came in, I turned it on, and she stared in amazement and wonder at first, at least before she started hopping around in the bubbles flowing around in my living room. And really, that's a great definition of spiritual practice, excuse me, staring in wonder at the world and then dancing in its delight. That wonderful voice, poet Mary Oliver says, my work is loving the world, which is mostly standing still and learning to be astonished. But seriously, it actually took me about 30 years of spiritual work to come to the realization that any spiritual practice of value is one that a child not only can do, but that we've already likely done when we were children, even in the most difficult of childhoods. You know, Jesus just said, become like children, but you know, that's just too simple for my ego. And here in this text, the Jesus of John's gospel also says it very simply, but of course when it's literalized, it becomes absurd and actually abhorrent. It was especially abhorrent for first century ears, but we've perhaps grown accustomed to them because of our communion ritual about eating bread, body, and drinking blood, wine. But like our former spiritual searcher John Spong says about John's gospel, its whole purpose is not to provide a biography of Jesus, but rather to present a pathway to enter the same consciousness that was in Jesus. That's a very important distinction. So to eat my flesh and drink my blood really means to ingest the divine, to connect the spiritual world with the physical world, a, Two worlds that are really never disconnected anyway, except how we make it. So we're talking in this text about soul food, nourishment for the soul. And that is what re-enchants the world, to become transparent to our spiritual nature, our true nature as human beings, our full nature. And that's what it means to live into the fullness of our humanity, to become more fully living expressions of divine love in the way that Jesus became a complete expression of true nature. So one way my adult ego reacted to Olivia's experience with the bubble machine was to plan to get another one for an upcoming visit from two of my Chicago grandsons and their mother. 
And so I figured, wow, if a two-year-old can be so fascinated with the fish bubble machine, how much more will it affect Xander and Connor, my six and eight-year-old grandsons? But when I went to get another one, I saw next to that cute little fish bubble machine, one called the Blitz. You know, this sounded less like a Finding Dory kind of fish bubble machine and more like Jaws, the great white shark of bubble producing machines. And, you know, what adolescent boys wouldn't go berserk with that kind of bubble making power or what 67-year-old grandfather for that matter. So when they came to the door after a seven-hour trip to Columbus, I was ready. I had my hand on the Blitz bubble blaster button. <laughs> Say that 10 times fast. And I put it into action. The boys hugged me, walked through the bubbles with a laugh. I think they yawned and immediately got interested in something else, I think outside. Not the reaction I was expecting or not the reaction I really I was needing from them, the wonder and excitement and thrill of that two-year-old girl. It was more like, meh. Although I will say this, Connor, the eight-year-old, did have some fascination with it later. He wanted to take it apart to see how it worked. They were, however, enchanted with Dinosaur Island at the Columbus Zoo, which I can uh, recommend. I went through the exhibit first alone with Connor, and so there was this excited eight-year-old fantasizing along the boat ride through all these scary prehistoric beasts. And Connor, the actual eight-year-old, was also really thrilled to see them. Got to think about that for a second. When any of my grandchildren leave my home, though, I do grieve that loss. But then as I'm cleaning up the joyful chaos, I get to see the miraculous enchantments that they've left behind for me. And so when I find a superhero figure in a large potted plant, I know there has been imaginative play going on in my home without my noticing it, and I'm enchanted even by the thought that that was going on. This year, Xander, the six-year-old, came in coughing and actually left with bronchitis, as it turned out. But you know, he still soldiered on through to have fun and enrich my life. But did he ever go through the clinics? I mean, like wads at a time. You know, great hygiene for that kid. <clears throat> but all those empty boxes were around. I mean, clinic stock certainly went up that weekend. One empty box I found even before they left became a storage unit for several superhero figures. And then as I was cleaning up my home office, which was the bedroom for Xander that week, I found another Kleenex box, which became a house for various knickknacks from my bookshelf in that room. Knickknacks that had actually left up for the, there for them to play with. And I'm brought back to seeing through a child's eyes how the most ordinary artifacts become transformed in childhood imagination. There's a Christmas song by Gloria Estefan that comes on every Halloween. Good, the nine o'clock crowd got that too. It's called uh, Christmas Through Your Eyes, which apparently she wrote about her son and how he taught her how to be a child again. Her own childhood apparently was pretty awful, but still she had to have had experiences like this to have the memory, the sense memory to be able to see Christmas through her son's eyes, which is what the song is about. I wanna see Christmas through your eyes, if only for one day, help me try through your young heart I want to see Christmas through your eyes. So the next morning after Xander and Connor left, I go to sit down in my favorite chair where I read along with my morning coffee. I look down at the chair leg and propped around it are three plaster coasters forming a tent. 
And I see once again how a chair leg and heavy-duty coasters can become a fortress or a tunnel for little Lego people or Lego vehicles. Thomas More says that enchantment demands we blend realism with imagination. We may have to return, he says, to childhood and recover its truths, its vision, its logic, its sense of time and space, and its extraordinary cosmology and creative physics. To live an enchanted life, we may have to sharpen our perception so we can see the spark of divinity in the most ordinary thing. And I'm brought back to the weeping willow tree about three houses down from where I grew up in a neighbor's yard that I used to go under when I was like five and six and seven years old even. And uh, it became this fantasy land where light would come streaming through in strange and wonderful ways, where my guys at that age could play and have a war or a battle or whatever else they were doing or build something. The weird thing was is that right across from that uh, field that the willow tree was next to was a little factory, so it was noisy and dirty and they never mowed the grass in between, but that weeping willow tree was a fantasy island for me. The title of this sermon comes from the book of the same name by this psychotherapist and soul guide, Thomas More, who will, by the way, be our spiritual searcher this November 30th and December 1st. And in the introduction to the re-enchantment of everyday life, Thomas More writes that how, as we grow up into adults, we get sophisticated out of enchantment, and we become too smart about the things that cause children to wonder. And he says this, the soul, though, has an absolute unforgiving need for regular excursions into enchantment. The soul needs it. It requires them like the body needs food and the mind needs thought. Hence, Jesus's, eat my flesh and drink my blood, soul nourishment from and of the divine. Moore says, a culture dedicated to enchantment recognizes our need to live in a world of both facts and holy imagination. And that small mystical community founded by the author of John's Gospel had clearly experienced a re-enchantment of their world by following a spiritual path that they called the way of Jesus. So to ingest Jesus, to take in Jesus, the Holy One, is to take in the reality that we are spiritual beings having a human experience, as Teilhard de Chardin and others have said, Or as the Sufis say, we humans have both an animal soul and an angelic soul. And when we dismiss our spiritual half, our world and our lives become disenchanted, dispirited. All that's not a discovery of anything new, by the way. It is really an uncovering of what has always been true for all time, but not always known or believed, particularly in our culture, and certainly not often experienced. So our task, as I see it, is to remove the blinders that keep this true reality hidden away from our normal thinking minds and our usual modes of perception. There is just so much that obstructs our vision, mostly our very modern, sophisticated, knowing minds that can also cloud us with limited beliefs about ourselves and about our world, with ego structures that turn everything and everyone into objects for our use or for getting our little small needs met. You know, why are there so many miracle stories in the Bible about the blind being able to see? 
Because if our vision was clear to see the divine reality in which we live, we could be in, as Elizabeth Gilbert, the writer says, we could be in a state of uninterrupted marvel. This might seem a little impractical, like how can you function seeing the world and everything in it as enchanted in in some way? How could you ever get anything done? But that, again, is only seen through the limited egoic view of life and meaning and success, the ego ideas of all of those. But what if we tried an experiment? What if we looked already at everything we do as enchanted? To awake each morning and breathe is an enchanted act. To be in contact with another living being at some time throughout the day, even if that living being is a cat or a dog or a garden vegetable or even a stone or a piece of wood for that matter. To be engaged with the world is to be enchanted. And so Jesus invites us to live in the kingdom of God in the world. And contemplating taking the flesh of Jesus for our food and his lifeblood creates the recognition that the very ordinary activities of life are filled with the divine energy. And so the mystical gospel of Thomas has Jesus saying this, the kingdom is within you and all around you. Lift the stone and you will find me there. Split the piece of wood, I am there. Even in a stone or a piece of wood, the divine is present. And it's possible to build up capacity to begin to catch more and more glimpses of the world as it really is without all the filters or with with less filters than we have. So spiritual work is not really about adding anything to our lives, making them more complicated actually, but it's really a process of subtracting, of allowing as we work on it to dissolve the barriers we have to being fully in union with the Holy One from whom we are never actually distanced, by the way, but that our human situation very naturally and necessarily blinds us to our true nature as one with God, one with each other, and one with all creation. And while we subtract the barriers to enchantment, we do the reverse with spiritual sustenance. Thomas More says it this way, our souls need to be fattened. We need to feed on spiritual food. And therefore, we need to put ourselves in the way of moments of enchantment. Our past spiritual searcher, Jim Finley, says we stack the deck in our favor. That's a great phrase. We tend to show up for sunsets. We see to it that we don't miss the quiet moment alone in the morning with that cup of coffee before the hecticness of the day begins. So just to wake up every morning and take a conscious breath after spending all night breathing without having to be consciously aware, that in itself is a miracle and an enchantment. Or even to wake up in the middle of the night and hear a thunderstorm rattling the walls and rain showers batting against the windows. Awesome experience. Or to shed tears with a friend who's describing to you a huge wound to his heart that he received in childhood. Or to feel the fullness of a wound in your own heart. These are precious, enchanted moments that if we attend to them, they fatten our souls that as they build our capacity to risk experiencing even more enchantment in life. Thomas More says, good food for the soul includes especially anything that promotes intimacy, a hike in nature, a late night conversation with a friend, a family dinner, a job that deeply satisfies, a visit to a cemetery. 
anything that promotes intimacy. He says, beauty, solitude, and deep pleasure also keep the soul well-fed, all of these. That's the enchanted world in which we live anyway. We could choose to become more conscious of it and thereby express it more completely in our lives and with our loves. So, you know, living in a re-enchanted way would likely cause us to slow down a bit, be more attentive in life, more present to what's actually happening, more engaged fully in life. I'm trying to figure out why that would be a bad thing. Brother David Stendhal Rast, one of the great thinkers of our day, says that we can learn re-enchantment by becoming aware that every moment is a given, given moment. That means every moment is a gift. You haven't earned it, you haven't brought it about in any way, you haven't created it, and you have no way of assuring that the, there will be another moment given to you. We all know this. And as usual, Brother David offers a very simple practice to guide us in this work of re-enchantment, one that even a child can do. My friend and colleague and church member and now author Brandy Lust summarized it nicely in her Learning Lab consulting blog a few weeks ago. David Stendhal's process has three simple steps. Stop, look, go. So first of all, we have to stop. We have to get quiet. We need stop signs in our lives to create a pause and be still for just a moment. Then, he says, you look. You open your eyes. You open your ears. You open all the senses for the wonderful richness that's been given to us. As my own spiritual journey has shown me time and time again, our physical senses are not limits to the divine, but are actually the gateways to the holy. This is a synthesis of the human nature and the spiritual nature. That's who we are as spiritual beings. And you know, as I said, there are so many healing miracles about healing the blind so that they can see true reality, but there are also healing miracles about the deaf so that they can hear a new reality, and the lepers so that the untouchables can sense into a spiritual reality, and the lame so that after standing still and learning to be astonished by the bubbling up of life, they can begin to dance around in delight in whatever living room they happen to find themselves. Those are miracles about us as beings of spirit as well as flesh. We've been given all the gifts we need to experience the fullness of the Holy One. So Brother David's last step after stop and look is go. Whatever life offers to you in that present moment, if you take the opportunity, just go with it, he says. What seed for action is this moment offering you? How can you make it beautiful for yourself and for others? Beauty does keep the soul well-fed, and we could live the closing prayer from the Navajo Way Blessing Ceremony. With beauty before me may I walk. With beauty behind me may I walk. With beauty below me may I walk. With beauty above me may I walk. With beauty all around me, may I walk. And then we can also see the beauty that is all around us in each other, as that opening uh, prayer and call to worship said. What is this symbolic eating of the divine flesh and blood but the ingesting of the spiritual nature as an integration of the practical side of life, our doing nature, you could say our human nature, an integration of that with love with a capital L, 
our divine nature, our being nature. And finally, that's the ultimate reason for expanding our capacity for enchantment because it opens the way for greater capacity for selfless love. Enchantment, you know, sounds all good and lovely. It's enchanting. But there's an intensity to living more fully into the kingdom of God, an intensity to it. There is an awesomeness that's often translated in the Bible as the fear of God. There's actually a great intensity of love and joy that makes the fullness of those experiences the things we think of as positive experiences, even more difficult for most of us than the experience of dullness and pain, which sadly we actually have become a bit more adjusted to as adults, I think, than these experiences of full love and joy in our life and compassion. One more time to quote Thomas More, he says that if we live in daily intimacy with the world around us, we could learn to tolerate the mystery that has no discernible limits. There's a necessity to build capacity in order to tolerate the infinite mystery of the richness of being. In my own experience, the onset of true feelings of divine love and joy are actually, they are so much more difficult to tolerate, to contain, than experiences of even great human sadness or anger or even hatred. Because in love and joy, there is even more dissolution of the self that I've tried so hard to maintain in the world. And there's far more recognition in love and joy of the lack of control I really have over the tremendous capacity of the human heart for the love of the world and of other people, and of all creation for that matter. Spiritual practice begins and ends with the heart. What we need to do is to have the courage to open our hearts to their full capacity. And maybe this is why the early group of Jesus followers found this to be a harsh teaching, as the text declares, because ultimately to follow it entails the loss of self, this self we've come to know. And the point is, when we follow this way, when we're eating this flesh and drinking this blood, we are ingesting another source, the true source actually, but still an other as the driver of our being. You are giving up yourself and becoming a shard of the cosmic Christ, and your life is no longer your own. But if we take the risk of losing ourselves, we might open to the mystery that only expands the more we access it and become the divine children of humanity we are truly meant to be. So at the conclusion of John's gospel, Jesus tells Peter three times in a couple different ways, tells him three times, Feed my sheep. That feeding is literal, of course, providing bread for the world. But we are also to feed each other living bread that is, as Jesus said, spirit and life. We're actually to nourish one another by opening our own hearts into the enchantment of the world and of our own souls and lives. To see the beauty in one another and in the world the spiritual food that is finally the divine sustenance that can re-enchant the world and re-enchant our own lives. Soul food from God. Amen.